0: Hey, folks, Tom and Keith, and we want to send a big shout out to the Dunlap Champions Club, which has been the sponsor of Front Row Knowles podcast for some time. Now, hopefully during the 2017 season, you got a chance to sample it. I know on the field, the season may not have gone the way you wanted, but uh, off the field, the experience remained top shelf inside the Dunlap Champions Club.
1: Without question, the, the ability to go to a ball game, to, to be inside when it's hot, to have refreshments, food, drink, those types of things. And you and I both, Tom, have talked about, uh, particularly during this semester, school semester, we We've been in there for other functions, and certainly many of our listeners uh, should have the opportunity we will have the opportunity to be there for other than football games. If you're a member, you've got that opportunity on Friday nights prior to the game. You can do things on Sunday. It's uh, obviously attached to the University Center Club. Uh, it's a great all round venue for
0: anything that's going on during the weekend. It was built with 365 days a year function space or functions in mind. I'll, I'll remind you that uh, next year, 2018, Seven home games on the schedule, including Virginia Tech, Florida, and Clemson. Plant that little seed now. If you want more info, go to FSUClubSeats.com or FSUChampionsClub.com. And now, without further ado, Front Row knows. Good evening, everybody. It is your favorite day of the week because it's Front Row Knowles time, and for many, Keith, it's their favorite day of the year. I guess there's two days now because there's two signing days for football, right? That there is, the early signing day in December, and then what we traditionally,
1: for years and years of years, have pointed to uh, National Signing Day, NSD. And uh, for Florida State, unlike maybe some other schools, uh, NSD has not uh, disappointed. It has been a big day in Florida State football.
0: Really a great job by Willie Taggart and his staff. Uh, if you follow recruiting, you know this at this point. But we're going to uh, dig deeper into this over the next uh, 60 minutes or so. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, will join us. We'll get his perspective on it, which is obviously a Florida State perspective. Our good friend Andrea Adelson from ESPN.com will join us, and she'll add a sort of an ACC and a national perspective on how Coach Taggart did. And then we'll also hear uh, a long excerpt from today's press conference when, uh, when Willie Taggart met the media, uh, ironically in the same exact venue where he was uh, introduced as head coach two months and a day ago, K.J., here on the fourth floor of the Dunlap Champions Club.
1: He's probably more comfortable here than he is on Doak Campbell Stadium. I don't think he's been actually on the stadium uh, field, Bobby Bowden Field, twice in his career uh, here because uh, God knows he has not been in town. Uh, he and his staff have been traveling all over the country. Uh, maybe now they'll get a little chance to see what Tallahassee looks like, what their offices look like.
0: Well, ironically, I'm going to ask him about that, uh, you know, as you're listening to this, folks, because I'm involved in the signing day event, uh, with Seminole Boosters at the Tallahassee Automobile Museum. You're going to be at the Tucker Center for FSU Basketball, but uh, I made a note, uh, you know, what's been the most challenging? Putting together your staff, moving your family across the country, making up lost ground and recruiting, or finding your way home at night? Do you even know how to drive from the Moore Athletic Center to wherever he lives in town? Uh, And and, and to
1: be honest, I I don't know that anybody's asking him. I do not know where his family is living uh, as we speak. Uh, All those things we kind of take for granted uh, with these guys, but uh, he'll get used to it. And uh, and I think most, like most of us, uh,
0: he'll learn to make Tallahassee home. There's no question. All right, so as I just mentioned, we're going to have a lot of talk uh, about recruiting coming up over the next uh, 30 minutes or so. But uh, with Keith Jones' expertise as the uh, analyst on the Basketball Radio Network, we need to talk about a huge basketball opportunity tonight for Florida State. And I think that's what it is, Keith. I mean, you know, Virginia's favored. Nationally, people probably don't expect that Florida State would win. Uh, you know, even FSU fans, as they tally up the total, you play that, let's look at the rest of the schedule game. Most people are going to put an L next to it. That said, Florida State has had success against Virginia. The Noles play very well at home, and this is a big stage, big opportunity tonight.
1: There's a couple of three things that jump out at me about this ball game. Number one, uh, as you mentioned, Florida State has beaten Virginia twice consecutive years. Uh, that's, that's not been done. That's very rare. Number two, the matchups that Florida State present to Virginia uh, cause problems. That pack line defense um, it's Achilles heel is for an opponent's ability to shoot the three and shoot it effectively. And FSU's got three or four or five kids that can step beyond the arc and nail some three-pointers when necessary. And then the other factor that we don't know how it works because we've not seen it work yet is uh, Florida State's bigs on the inside. Now, that pack line defense is intended for you not to be able to get the ball inside, and when you do get the ball inside, you're not supposed to be able to score uh but nobody that Virginia has played has got three bigs like Florida State does in terms of their athleticism and particularly um in their ability to to use the, the alley oop and 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 dunks and things like that. So it's gonna be interesting to see how Coach Ham and his staff have designed uh the offensive sets whether they're going to really challenge Virginia on the inside, if they're going to rely on the three-port shooting on the outside. And then the the, maybe the fourth factor, I mentioned three, but the fourth factor, uh, other than Carolina, Virginia hasn't played anybody that can run like Florida State can. Virginia is not a very good offensive team. They don't score a lot of points. They're very methodical. If you can get some defensive rebounds and get out in transition, then that pack line defense is immaterial because now you're playing the transition game. And Florida State can run 1 through 5, run through 12 if need be. Uh, And if FSU can get some fast break points going, this could be a very, very interesting
0: ball game in the Tucker Center tonight. Yeah, I know there will be a great atmosphere for it. Florida State sitting at 6-5 and in the league. Do you still feel like 9-9 and gets them in the tournament?
1: Yes, most definitely, and and depending on how it goes, you know, eight and ten might, might, but I think that nine and nine makes it a, a done deal. And as you say, the, the coaching staff doesn't look ahead; they look one game at a time. <coughs> Pardon me, but if you look ahead uh, like we do, uh, Florida State needing those three more wins, you get one tonight. And there's two more to be found pretty easy in the rest of the schedule. Uh, if you stub your toe and don't win the night, that road is a little deeper, a little more difficult, but certainly doable. Uh, I like Florida State's chances of getting in the tournament. I think they're going to be about an eight or a nine seed, maybe as much as a seven if they go on a roll. And uh, it'll be back-to-back NCAA seasons for Florida State. That's what we're getting used to.
0: Don't want to get the cart before the horse, though. You're right. I mean, you play that, count them up, and uh, even without tonight, you would look at it and say they got B.C. and Pitt at home. And they've got a split with Clemson home and away. That would get you three more wins. Uh, you know, last week they ended up going one and one, but it wasn't the one and one anybody expected losing on the road at Wake, which is a, you know, that's going to be in the negative column when the selection committee puts it together, but they made up for it with that win at Louisville. Uh, back to tonight's game. Uh, Do you know where we are on PJ Savoy? Is is he going to be back in the mix yet or are we still waiting to see?
1: Still waiting to see. Uh, he did not participate in warmups, uh, last time out. Uh the brace is off. Uh I've seen him motoring around a little bit and shoot around uh but uh no official word. If I had to bet, uh I would say he's not available tonight. But with this
0: basketball team as close lipped as they are about injuries, one never knows. All right, so there's a, sort of a thumbnail on tonight's matchup and uh, yeah, the bigs are interesting and, and Florida State when they when they're feeling, I mean it's that's the other thing here. Uh, you talk about Virginia being not very good offensively and kind of grinded out methodical uh, you know, that's what Leonard did for a while in terms of his defensive. Not exactly the same as what Bennett is doing, but, you know, a lot of games that were 50-48. to 48, Now what Virginia's done is they're beating people 55-30 to 30 because they've been so good defensively.
1: What, uh, what did I read? Syracuse scored 44 points against them. I think last time out, Virginia defeated Syracuse 59-44. The 44 points that Syracuse scored are the least amount of points that Syracuse has ever scored in the Carrier Dome,
0: and that building uh, became operational in 1980. Yeah. So basically, when the Big East Conference started, or whatever, and well, and they beat. Now this was at sh- in Charlottesville. They hammered Clemson, sixty-one to thirty-five or thirty-eight or something. Is so. You know, if you, if you're not ready to play, it, it's not going to be very compelling from the Florida State side. I do think FSU will be ready tonight, though.
1: I do too, and I, I think the kids recognize. Uh, what a great opportunity this is. Uh, they were very disappointed in that BC as well as the Wake losses because uh, those were games that they know they can win and should have won. Uh, I'll be surprised. I'll be shocked if we see Florida State not come out prepared any time the rest of this year on the basketball side
0: little reminder for you you can celebrate tonight's win at uh, Madison Social or uh, any of the uh, fine establishments uh, down there that are part of the For the Table group whether it's Township or Centrally Madison Social also a place you can uh, enjoy the uh, road game it's the uh, the game watching site for basketball road games this weekend FSU at Notre Dame and uh if you want to celebrate Valentine's Day or not and celebrate Galentine's Day instead uh that's coming up next week programming reminder as well there guys uh, and girls for that matter for that significant someone in your life you got a week to do your shopping kj i'm looking at you uh, Not as my significant other, but I'm reminding you to shop for Kathy. And thank you, and uh, and duly noted, and uh, I'll make myself a note. Yes, there you go. Uh, I'll remind our listeners that uh, we're going to talk National Signing Day when we come back. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, is here. Andrew Adelson from ESPN.com will join us. We'll hear from Coach Taggart extensively. He met the media today. Florida State, what else is new? They closed strong on National Signing Day. Big day from uh, FSU, and uh, we are just getting started here on Front Row Knowles. On location here from the Dunlap Champions Club as uh, Willie Taggart has just finished up his press conference. Last time we did this, guys, uh, he had just been introduced as Florida State's head football coach, and here we are as we welcome our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeldt. Tim, uh, two months and a day removed from that initial press conference, when uh, prior to that a lot of FSU fans thought perhaps the sky was falling and nobody would ever come play football again at Florida State, but he appears to have um, done okay.
3: Uh, Yeah, I would say so. Uh, A really exciting national signing day for Florida State kind of a a throwback in a way so much of, of recruiting uh, you know, a lot of it's sort of anticlimactic by National Signing Day. So many coaches like to wrap their class up. Brother before Say, wasn't able to do that with the transition. So today, uh, you had sort of the, the, the old throwback style of, of guys announcing their commitments on ESPN or on social media or whatever. And you're down the hall from the coach's office where they've all gathered in the war room. And, you know, every, every so often you hear just a, a huge cheer and all of a sudden somebody's playing the war chant and, you know, I, you hear guys, you know, yelling, do something and, 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 you know, doing the war chant and all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, a lot of excitement. And then, you know, Willie Taggart, I think we, we've, known him long enough now to know that he's he's pretty reserved and pretty understated and and you know he 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 speaks with a soft voice but uh seeing the look on his face you can tell he's pretty happy with the group he got today
0: keith uh you know one of the things we'll talk about here with tim is that uh as they announced the uh, commitments today or the signings, they, they let each player play, uh, you know, they attach the player's favorite song to it. And we, we welcome back this segment or rejoined with uh, something that was, it's almost as old. I mean, you might've listened to it in the locker room just about, but not quite, but a little Phil Collins in the air tonight.
1: Uh, actually, Tommy, to be accurate, that <laughs> is older than I am being in a locker room. That was in the mid-'80s, uh, not even in the late-'70s, as I recall. Uh, so now we have walk-up music for football players, I guess, is the way we're going with that. Uh, I think it's all done and well and good, and I was uh, pleased to hear uh, that Coach Taggart's got some throwback songs that he likes. Uh, I think that continues to endear him with uh, the old uh, older generations are the older part of the Seminole Nation, uh, and he's uh, proven himself to be quite diverse. He can hang with the uh, with the young mu- music, and he can go old school when he needs to. Well, T-
3: saying, and to touch on that a little bit, and I think it, it all goes hand in hand, you know, he, he was also asked about the, the social media presence, and he talked about uh, connecting with the players, and that level says, says connecting on social media is more effective than, than text messaging. He said the, the players respond to that more, and so when you see that kind of thing, the, the music reaching out, hey, what do you like? What do you listen to? It's a, to me it's showing players, showing recruits. You can kind of be yourself. You can have your personality. The things that you like can be a part of you. Uh, and that flies so counter to, I mean, not just football, but a lot of athletics, where it's everybody get in line, everybody do the same thing as everybody else. You know, it's almost militarized. And so it's a much different approach. And, and it's obviously uh, it's obviously effective with the players, you know, to like that. Say, hey, you know, how do you want to be announced? How do you, you know, what do you want people to be listening to when they read your bio? That sort of thing. It's just so different than, than I think what we're used to and different than probably what, you know, most schools around the country are doing.
0: Keith, I made it a point to write this down. When he was asked about social media, he, he said something to the effect of, if you're not on it, you'll get left behind. So I'm, I'm wondering right now, front of Tim and an audience of uh, at least dozens listening, hopefully, uh, are you going to uh, develop a social media presence? Uh, that would be negatory ghostwriter. The pattern is full. All right, I thought I'd give it a go. Tim, back back to the class here. You know, uh, there's always got to be the negative guy, and generally they're in the media, so I'll ask the question. Uh, and it was asked at the press conference as well. But one of the misses, and there weren't many today, was that Florida State didn't get a quarterback it thought it was going to get. What do you think that does in turn? How significant is that right now with what's on the roster?
3: I don't think it's huge. I think a lot of it hinges on DeAndre Francois. On his recovery, uh, you know, if, if he's available and, and can be effective, uh, you know, in the fall, uh, and that's really what matters. And we'll see about spring, but having him 100% in the fall, whether he or James Blackman or somebody else is a starter, just to have an experienced, healthy body on the roster. Uh, if you have him in the fold between him, James Blackman, and Bailey Hawkman, you're probably going to be okay. If DeAndre Francois is taking a little longer in his recovery, uh, then you could find yourself in an interesting situation. I think I think Willie summed it up pretty well. I think he was pretty pretty honest uh, in his assessment he said we would like to have signed one I don't think it's the end of the world that we didn't and I, and I think that's probably pretty fair you, you would have liked to have gotten one obviously Florida State was in on uh, some guys particularly one at the end that, that chose to go somewhere else and like the fact they were recruiting him as hard as they did they wanted him but you know the roster is going to be okay you have experience two guys with a full season's worth of experience under the belts under their belt. so assuming both are healthy that's a Pretty nice luxury. So uh, is it a priority for 2019? Absolutely. Is it going to derail Florida State's 2018 season? Uh, I really don't think so, and especially considering, you know, James Blackman's only going to be a true sophomore this fall. DeAndre Francois is be a redshirt junior. You know, none of those guys are necessarily, you know, this is you're not in your last year with, with some of your key players as well at that position. So would have been nice, but they're going to be okay. Two comments
1: there, Tommy. Number one, I don't know what Willie's um, uh, numerical – one is, he mentioned in the press conference that he likes to keep 11 wide receivers, you know, in the fold. That was, that's a number that, that he threw out there. In, in the old days, I mean, you, you had three, maybe four scholarship quarterbacks on at any one time and, and then maybe a preferred walk on. So, you know, Florida State is basically one scholarship quarterback away from what would be ideal. The reason we're talking about it is because FSU has had some issues with quarterbacks that have come in. And, and had to leave because of things that they brought upon themselves. Um, you know, secondly, I think we need to recognize that uh, it, it wouldn't be uncommon, and, and I don't, don't think anybody sitting around here would be that um, shocked if uh, Willie doesn't bring in a graduate transfer uh, you know, as you get a little closer to spring or maybe even after spring. Uh, he knows what's out there, and if during spring ball it's apparent that uh, things are not going well, uh, then the ability to bring in someone else, or at least identify and potentially go after someone else, also
0: exists. So I, I don't think it's a, an issue at all from my perspective. I was going to go there. Sorry, Tim. I'm just going to jump in. I would, I would suggest it doesn't even need to be a grad transfer. I mean, you could get a straight transfer who's not eligible this year. wouldn't help you in an injury situation. But if it's somebody coming from his offense or similar, it would help you teach that offense to the guys on the team.
3: Well, and the different side of that coin, and I was I was going to say, and we're all talking about the same thing, I think, here now, is like the days of having four or five scholarship quarterbacks on the roster and them all finishing their careers in the same place is just over. It just doesn't happen. So, get you know, you want to have options. You want to, you know, give yourself as many, you know, stack the deck as much as you can and end up with the best guys. But, you know, to the degree of having that many quarterbacks on the roster, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but you're not going to have that type of depth because guys leave if they can't play anymore. It's everywhere. And in Florida State, you know, we, we've seen Florida State suffer because of that. We've also seen Florida State be the beneficiary of that as well. So it's just modern college football. All that to say, uh, I think Florida State is going to be okay having not signed a quarterback.
0: And they're going to be okay because now there's people to catch the football too because they went from five scholarship receivers, uh, signed five more. You mentioned you'd like to have 11. They got up to 10. That, that is probably one of the, the key takeaways from what FSU did with this class.
3: Man alive. Oh, uh, when the last time Florida State had, had 11 scholarship receivers? I feel like, the, you know, however many of the last few years we're asking, what about receiver depth? What about receiver depth? They say, oh no, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Well, we, we see what Willie Taggart's definition of, of fine is in terms of receiver depth. And look, there's no way around it. it that's been an issue at Florida State for, I mean, probably the, the last five years of receiver depth, if one guy gets hurt or, or is ineffective or whatever, you got serious problems. Uh, and so, you know, getting, getting those numbers up and obviously these guys are all young. I think we expect, uh, freshman wide receivers will have much more of an opportunity to make an impact, uh, than we've seen in recently. But just having healthy bodies at, at that position is going to be so different. I think it's going to be a pretty nice luxury. I think
1: the other thing that's interesting about it, and, and this was talked about in the press conference as well, is the concept of diversity. I mean, you, you've got a couple of kids here that fit the mold that we all like. There's 6'3", 6'4", 210, 215, 220. You've got a couple of kids uh, that are unbelievably fast and uh, depending on how exactly this uh, – uh, west coast or gulf coast offense ends up working you may actually see you know people in positions that we're used to seeing i.e you know the short little guys in the slot the bigger receivers on the outside uh, i mean it, it's shaping up to have the personnel to do the things that you dream about doing in terms of matchups and uh, these kids uh, at least on paper uh, fit different molds and i think are going to give this offensive staff a lot of different options
3: you know the uh, the other position of florida state loaded up at uh, that i think is really important uh, given just it's value and also the roster is defensive end. You know, you signed four of those guys. Uh, the big one, Malcolm Lamar from, from Armwood High School down near Tampa. Um, you, you know, Willie said today, that the kind of defense they're going to run, we need as many of those guys as possible. And look, there's, there's not a defense, defensive coordinator out there that doesn't want as many pass rushers as possible. Uh, but to get those guys, especially with, with Josh Sweat's departure, uh, you know, even Derwin James as effective as he was as a pass rusher, you want as many of those guys as possible. We know, Forest, Florida State has in Brian Burns. I think they have some special Bruin and Josh Kane though, but as many any of those guys getting after the passer uh, as you can it's, it's almost like the reverse you know you, you got to be able to pass you got to be able to rush the passer so to see them load up on some of those guys uh, i thought was a really nice uh, nice development
0: another storyline or takeaway here tim is that Florida State has not necessarily done great in the Tampa area in terms of recruiting over the years. Uh, not really surprising when you consider Willie Taggart's roots and that he coached at USF and a lot of the coaches that they would do well there, but uh, they broke the Armwood curse, got two kids from there and four kids from the Tampa Bay area overall.
3: Yeah, uh, you know, Willie kind of had a sort of a a coy smile when he was asked about that, the uh, the Armwood curse. And for the longest time, you know, Florida State just had a tough time recruiting in the state of Florida. And look, Florida State recruited at a really high level over the last several years, even without uh, much Tampa infusion. But look, it's a, it's a major major metropolitan area uh in inside your home state if you're Florida state you got to be able to recruit Tampa so to see those guys get on board Malcolm Lamar uh Warren Thompson some of those other players from around that area it's it's a it's a really good thing and sort of a maybe a a, a shift of the balance of power in the state of Florida Tampa is such a you know for a long time has been sort of a gator hotbed but you know having a guy from that that area who's coached that area who has roots in the Tampa area I think it's it's a sort of a a statement of intent for Florida State and the rest of the state say hey you know we're coming in here and this is what it's going to look like I think the other part of that just
1: to wrap up that part is of the 20 kids that were listed on the handout that we, we were provided 16 of them are from Florida and Georgia, and I think that also shows intent. Change of gears, Tim. Uh, pretty big basketball game, uh, here in Tallahassee. Not, not to overshadow National Signing Day, but, uh, uh, the Hoops kids, uh, have got a tall task ahead of them this evening as well.
3: No, they really do. Uh, we, we know Virginia is going to be good every year. The way they play defense, they're always going to be right in, in the thick of it. But this year seems especially uh, uh, difficult in that Virginia, you know, they're number two in the country. I think they're 22 and one. Uh, I think they're 11 and 0 in the ACC. I looked this up yesterday, 11 and 0 in the ACC. Eight of those games have been decided by double figures. They're they're not just beating people, they're dominating. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a tall order. But but you know what? I got a weird feeling about this game. I kind of like the way Florida State matches up with Virginia and beat them two years in a row. I think they've got a a pretty nice feel for what they can do uh, against that pack line defense and uh, you know talking to uh, to some folks around here and uh, kind of hearing the whispers from some of the Virginia media there's a lot of folks that cover Virginia to that think that, that Florida State has a pretty good chance tonight uh, the wild card to me I guess he's a wild card every night is is Chris Camaggi. Uh it, it's hard to go through that pack line defense but with a seven foot four guy in the post maybe you can just go over it well we'll have to wait and see I think one of the
1: things that are going to be key uh, that Florida State has shown great propensity for and other times, uh, and it just hasn't played well or, and, and uh, shot well is the ability to make threes. Cause the one thing that pack line defense invites you to do is shoot the ball from the outside. Uh, if you get hot and are willing to take those chances and, 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 and launch those, uh, threes and they go in, you've got a real
0: big opportunity as well.
1: It's gonna be a good ball game. Good ball game.
0: Let's close on this, Tim. Uh, you know, signing day, basketball. But lo and behold, baseball starts next week. Softball's getting underway. I think they were both picked to win the ACC. Uh, on the tennis court, though, and we don't talk about this very much, the Florida State men and women both beat Florida in a huge match at the USTA Center that's in Central Florida, Orlando area. Uh, that was a pretty landmark day for Florida State tennis.
3: No, it really was. I'm glad you brought that up. It's kind of similar to what we were talking about a little bit ago. It's just it's been assumed for so long that Florida – Tennis is the dominant program in the state, and the, the record books sort of reflect that, and the year by year results against the University of Florida reflect that. Now, you, you talk about a shift of the balance of power. You know, the, the FSU women have beaten Florida two years in a row. That's something that would have been practically unthinkable two years, or even two years ago. Uh, the men got in on it too and, and completed the sweep. I mean, those are things that just, they just kind of just don't happen. Uh, and so to see those programs coming around, especially, you know, they've had some long time coaches, been building those programs up for a long time to see, those efforts rewarded on the court and, in you know, just kind of stealing back some of that, that, uh, that momentum and, and sort of shifting the seesaw, if you will, uh, from the Gators. It's, it's always pretty cool to see. And look, if you're a Florida State fan, you, Florida State beat Florida anything and brings a smile to your face, right? Exactly right. Uh,
0: you bring a smile to our face, Tim. Our Seminals doc, you know, we don't usually get to see it, KJ, you know, but you, you join us via the Earl Bacon Agency microphone today, I guess. The Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. He's our Seminoles.com insider. We'll see you soon, Tim. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Tim Lenoff, Keith, you just grand. We'll come back and do more front row holes right after this.
2: Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
0: Back on Front Row Knowles, National Signing Day. Of course, a big game coming up at the Tucker Center. Virginia in town and uh, Leonard Hamilton and his Seminoles trying to spring an upset. Andrew, we won't put you on the spot about that as we say hello to Andrew Adelson from ESPN.com, but we will talk some signing day. And uh, obviously, as you know, it's been uh, two months and a day since we were in the same room here at the Champions Club when uh, Coach Tagger was hired at Florida State, and uh, a lot of FSU folks, uh, not not at that press conference, but in light of the season and Jimbo leaving, thought maybe the sky was falling, the recruiting class was going to drop out, and here we are in Florida State's being Florida State again is what it feels like.
4: I think that given the way Willie Taggart has recruited throughout his career, those who were looking for a silver lining when it looked like there were some downtimes here could point to that. Even though it was a very crunched period of time, even though it was only two months, the fact that he has been able to sign excellent classes, uh, I think uh, is something that People could look at and build on. And so uh, I'm not surprised to see where Florida State is right now. Of course, everyone's used to a top five class, and I think that will come eventually. But the work that this group was able to do over such a short period of time. I think deserves a lot of credit because they were able to not only get in on a lot of guys that Florida State wasn't in on in December, they were also able to flip a bunch of guys uh, and beat Miami uh, for, for some guys. So there are signs, and I think that now what you've also seen with some of the early commits for 2019 shows that this coaching staff isn't joking around. They know how to recruit.
0: Let me ask you for your perspective covering the ACC and covering college football nationally. Is it unique, it feels unique covering just Florida State to go from the Jimbo Fisher era and only Tim Brewster was on social media and now you have a whole staff that's on social media. Instead of seeing pictures of recruits with three guys, you see the whole staff in these pictures. As the kids sign today, FSU football is announcing it on social media with the song of their choice. How different is that compared to what other ACC programs and other college programs are doing?
4: Well, I was able to spend some time in the warm room today as part of my television coverage for signing day. And there was rap music playing as they were waiting for some of these uh, letters to roll in, which I thought was also unique. This is just the way Willie Taggart has decided that he is going to help um, uh, promote the program. Uh, and I think that it's very valuable, especially when you look at players today, what do they like, what do they enjoy they're on social media, they love music, and these coaches want to find a way to relate to a lot of these players, and Willie Taggart talked about it at his press conference, this is just the way we're going to choose to promote and build our brand here, and we gave all these players the opportunity to pick their song he even, on his own Twitter account tweeted out lyrics from the song of these players choice and I think it's a really smart move because when you're looking for a way in or a way to convince somebody to come play for you compared to some other coach you have to find a way to connect and I think this is a really good way to connect.
1: Andrew, we're biased uh, because we are Florida State and uh, we love Willie and he had not played a game yet but you, you you travel and you're you have a great peer group what, what What is the nation saying about the Willie Taggart early era at Florida State?
4: I think a lot of folks are impressed with the way they were able to get this class Finish with this class, uh, the fact that they did it over a short period of time, as I mentioned before. I think a lot of people believe that he has what it takes to be able to get Florida State back to playing for championships. They look at what he has done in his past, um, where he coached, whom he coached with, uh, and see somebody that um, is c- capable. And I think the other part of it is the staff that he's put together. And I asked him about the staff he put together, and he said, look, I was going for really good coaches, but I was also going for coaches who could build a family here and let our players know that we care about them, um, both about football and off the field. So he wanted to try and bring back this family atmosphere, that at least he felt, was missing a little bit from Florida State. And when again, when we talk about relatable ways to connect with guys, I think that's something that has already connected with the players on this team and I think will continue to connect with the recruits that are coming in. So I've been high on Willie Taggart. You guys have heard me talking about that before. And I think folks around the country see the potential that there is here.
0: It's obvious that he grew up a Florida State fan. Uh, we sense it. Do you Do you sense that too? How dare, Jimbo knew Florida State uh, history. I mean, you could ask him about when when Keith played. What year was that? And then just, just kidding, KJ. Okay. Or, no, but but he knew the history. But somebody described it to me as if Willie feels the history. I don't know if that's accurate from your perspective and dealings.
4: No question about that. I had a chance to sit down with Willie to prepare for our signing day coverage, and he mentioned that about how his whole family lives and breathes Florida State, and his brother is one of them. And his brother, nobody in his family went to Florida State. Willie didn't go to Florida State, but they all feel as if they went to Florida State. They have the connection with the program. And he even told the story at his press conference, my brother wouldn't root for us at USF when we were playing Florida State, he was still rooting for Florida State. So that's something that he feels, and I think a lot of people who are fans of Florida State who didn't go here can completely relate to that. You know, when you've got a team that you grow up loving and rooting for, maybe you don't go to that college, maybe something happens and you go somewhere else, but you always got that team in your heart. That always is the team that gets the goosebumps flowing and gets the heart racing when the games come on TV. And I think that Willie Taggart feels that, and and I think everyone who knows him or talks to him can sense that as well.
1: Well, I think, too, and I, I've not had the conversation with Coach Taggart, but he kind of mentioned it uh, in the opening press conference in that he kind of wanted to come to Florida State, but he wasn't recruited, arguably wasn't big enough. He goes to Western Kentucky, has a great career, but yet this is where he wished he'd have had a career. And I think that is something that uh, is very evident about him. I think the other thing that's interesting about Willie as it relates to Florida State that was even different than Coach Bowden, you know, Coach Bowden was from Alabama. He wasn't from Florida. Well, Willie grew up in Florida. I mean, he's a Floridian, and now he's a Floridian coaching at Florida State University. And uh, I think that's evident in the kids because you got a, a strong Florida-dominated group, and I think that will be evident as you go forward in the 19, 20, and 21 classes, <laughs> pardon me he wants to make sure he mines this state for its talent
4: you mentioned the florida kids and let's take a look right here um they had so much success in the tampa bay area in this class people talked about that armwood curse and willie said yeah i heard about it when i got here they get two big time players from armwood and they get a couple of others from that area and where is willie taggart from He's from that area, so he was able to not only use his recruiting connections from when he was at USF, but he is intimately familiar with every single part of the state, and a lot of that is growing up here. At the same time, the fact that he grew up a Florida State fan means that he knows what Florida State should be. He grew up at the time when this was building into a dynasty, so he knows Florida State has to play a certain way and has to be a certain way and needs to carry itself a certain way and needs to be in that ch- that championship conversation year in and year out. And he also knows that Florida State is an elite program that should be signing elite players. They don't need to reach for anybody. You'll note that they did not sign a full class and that's because they weren't just gonna go and sign anybody to fill it out they wanted to be able to get the right fit for this program save a couple scholarships for next year when they're able to put in their first full class having an entire year to uh, recruit and so none of us will be surprised next year if he's able to bring in a lot of guys from florida especially from that west coast area
0: the one miss and we'll let you go on this is that uh, there was a quarterback that got away ironically to Jimbo and Texas A and M, which I'm sure has drawn the ire of Florida State fans, uh, do you think that they will get into the transfer market there? And I don't even necessarily mean grad transfer, because even somebody who's not eligible in this coming year, but knows the offense or the system, could help teach it to the existing quarterbacks on the roster.
4: I think that's a very strong possibility. There's three scholarship quarterbacks right now. DeAndre Francois is injured, and he will not be able to fully practice until the fall. Yes, he'll be able to do seven-on-seven, and that'll be good for him, but in terms of running full contact, that's not going to happen for several months down the line. So when we're looking at depth at this position, some schools carry three scholarship quarterbacks, and that's fine. Oregon last year carried three scholarship quarterbacks. One got hurt. They're down to two for the whole entire season. So quarterback was a huge priority because this staff wanted four because of the lessons they learned last year. And so the fact that they did not sign one, they only targeted the one for this cycle, they didn't get them, means that I think there's a high probability they'll try to go after a transfer.
0: I might amend and say they had targeted Justin Fields like everybody had, but that (laughs) ship had sort of sailed by the time Willie Taggart got here. (laughs) Andrew, we'll let you get back to work. We appreciate that you're always willing to spend a few minutes of time with us. appreciate your uh, coverage and work on uh, ESPN.com, too.
4: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
0: Henry Adelson from ESPN.com. KJ, I know you want to react because you always have two cents, and I'm going to make you wait, and maybe it'll be worth two and a half cents when we come back on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and uh, Keith with you as we always are on Wednesdays. We've talked hoops uh, with Tim, our uh, Seminoles.com insider. We talked about sort of the comprehensive good news that's going on for Florida State Athletics right now. But obviously we focused on uh, a National Signing Day. Keith, you and I... Haven't discussed it uh, in detail because we focused on the basketball game in our first segment. But what's your biggest takeaway maybe from what you've seen with Willie Taggart's first class?
1: Well, uh, I mentioned this to, to both uh, Tim and, and Andrea brought it up, is, is the, the Florida and the Georgia uh, connection. Of the 20 kids that were in the handout that uh, was officially uh, given out at the time that we're recording this, uh, 16 of the kids were from Florida and Georgia. That, that's a, that's esque now, obviously, with the, uh, Oregon connection, there were some kids, uh, from, uh, out west, uh, and principally the linebacker from California and a couple of others. And, and obviously FSU does rec- recruit nationally. But given the late start, uh, given the, uh, the background and the makeup of this staff, uh, I thought that was very telling. Uh, secondly, the ability to go in and, and target kids and we, we didn't, you can't talk about it because FSU can't comment on the signings until the actual paperwork is in. But you and I know from behind the scenes and conversations over the last few days that, you know, they were talking about we're going to get these 20 kids or maybe 21 kids and, and they got them. Obviously eight of them were in the early signing period, but with the exception of a quarterback, everyone that was talked about that Florida State was going to get, they got. And uh, I think that's very telling because that means they know what they're doing within the recruiting. It's not a long shot. It's not a guess. Uh, they can uh, go in and close the deal and keep it closed and keep that commitment strong. And
0: we saw that happen. Let's take a listen to what Coach Willie Taggart had to say when he met the media just after lunchtime this afternoon. Had a smile on his face. He's uh he's a soft-spoken guy, except when he says "Go Knowles" or do something, and then you see the excitement and a sort of a grin from ear to ear. But he had a lot to be pleased with in his first signing day, uh, which class which he put together in, what about sixty-three days or something like that? Trying to do the math, and are two months in a day, uh,
5: for for Willie Taggart. And here's Coach Taggart. What a great day to be a Know. Uh, Really excited about our, our recruiting class. I like um, really, really excited about the guys we um, had signed with us, and, and um, I think our coaches done a great job in a short amount of time of getting some really good football player, but more importantly, good people coming into our football program, and um, and that's again some more positive momentum going off of uh, how the season ended. We needed to continue to do that, and. Um, Our our guys work really hard coaches and our support staff and I mean everybody that's just played a part of it did an outstanding job once we got them on campus and um, you get them on campus I think the rest is history you know and um, it showed so um, uh, really good class really excited about it Um, want those guys to finish finish up in the classroom and, and, and come join our football team and now Really excited to uh, go and recruit our current guys now. So I'm recruiting nonstop. Questions? Hey coach
1: uh, Gary Smithson, from the Florida Times Union. Uh, the kids have different talents, different positions, different heights and weights, and everything. But is there one thing in common that you look for in a young man when you want to sign him to come play for you? And how close
5: uh, do these 20 kids as, as a group come to that ideal that you have? Um, yeah, I think uh, a lot of things that's in common with all of them, they're high, h- highly driven. Um, and probably the most common thing is that they really want to be here. You know? and, and that's important that we get guys that want to be here, and they're all really good football players, and we can see that when you turn on the film. But uh, it's more important to get good people that really want to be here and knowing that that's going to make a huge difference in, in the buy-in and what we want to do. So um, all those guys grew up wanting to be a no um, they're they're good people and, and pretty good football players. So, um, like I said I, I think it's more of that than anything that's in common that they really wanted to be here. Coach Wayne McGehee, Tallahassee Democrat, um, you doubled the number of uh, scholarship wide receivers that you had with this class. Just how big of a priority was that as soon as you came on board? Well, we only had five on scholarship and uh, would like to have at least 11 on scholarship. So. Um, it was important that we, we, we get some guys to fill um, our needs that we needed, you know, in order, to, in order to do some of the things that we want to do. Um, it was important that we get uh, some guys in the receiver position, and I'm uh, really, really happy with the ones we landed. It was pretty cool. Kurt. Kurt Weiler,
3: Tennessee Democrat. One of those guys, a lot of those guys are really highly touted, and then another guy, Keyshawn Hilton, kind of got found.
5: Late in that process, what stands out about him that kind of got on your radar? Um, he's a winner. Um, he's he's highly competitive. Uh, when you sit down and, and you talk with the young man, he's very confident in what he does. And you look at him, and you think, oh, this little guy playing football. But when you turn on the film, he he plays like he's a uh, really big guy, and, and he plays with he plays with an attitude, you know, and um, and he plays like he have something to prove. And uh, like those kind of guys and but he's a really good person too and um, have some bloodline with the great Derrick Brooks uh, wouldn't hurt either so um, I think that had a lot to do with it too because it confirms what you see on the film you know he knows how to play the game of football
3: Coach Joe
0: Reedy Associated Press I think this is the first time when you've come, in, come into a new job you've had the benefit of a bowl practice and seeing your team up close instead Mm -hmm. of on film how much did dad help in terms of knowing what
5: your needs were in the recruiting process Um, it helped big time because uh, obviously you go back and you watch the film from game film but uh, now you get to come and watch practice with guys and then uh, you see the guys that's leaving you see you know the guys that's leaving and seeing what you're gonna have to do to replace the um, the system that you're you're trying to implement here. So um, that helped me big time as a first. And, and there's nothing better than watching guys practice, watching guys in meeting rooms. And, and then um, getting to know some of the guys, and they kind of give you a heads up, to that they're probably not going to be here. And, and that helps you from um, knowing what you need and what you can get going forward. So, um, But watching the practice, seeing our guys, and seeing where we need to go with our offense and defense, um, it was big for me personally since I was kind of like the only one here. So. Hey, Willie. Uh, you said
3: after the early period that it's not really how you start, it's how you finish. So what were the keys to
5: finishing so well? I can't believe a, you remember that statement. That was a long time ago. Uh, it's, it's my job to remember that. But So what were the keys to, to finishing well and taking a class
3: that was not particularly highly ranked and getting them to top ten or so?
5: Um, I think getting the coaching staff on board, you know, and then those guys getting out and working their tails off to, to uh, build relationships. I also think um, you see a majority of the guys that we got on boards um, was guys that we probably recruited at pre- previous places um, and built some relationships and relied big time on those relationships that we had built uh, throughout the process. And uh, that helped big time in, in, in getting some of the guys. But I thought our coaches did an unbelievable job just – Getting on the road and and just going out and working, you know, and um, guys were all over the place, trying to make sure we get the the, uh, the best guys for us. And um, I thought our coaches did a great job, and I thought our support that our support staff did an unbelievable job once they got on campus. You know, I was really impressed. You know, it's kind of, I mean, it's my second time doing some of these official visits once we started, but to have everyone here and. And the way we did it, it was, it was impressive. And I felt like it would be hard for anyone to say no. You know? But um, but I, I give the credit to our, our coaches. And again, evaluating what we needed and, and being able to go after those guys.
3: Coach Sanjay Kripalani, Florida State Diehards, Cox Media. Um, how important is it, uh, this class, to setting the tone for what you guys want to accomplish here for you and your staff? I mean, how, how important is it to get off to this fast start with this class?
5: Well, I I think it's just, first, it was important to try to um, get the guys that we needed. You know, there's going to be a lot of um, changes when it comes to the system. And so it was important that we try to get some needs, but not just getting guys just to get it, but getting some quality football players that uh, can help us. And um, so it's really important to solidify those guys. And and now it's important that we – continue to recruit them, too, because it's not over with. they got to finish in the classroom and, and uh, bring them in here and, and, and get them developed into the culture that we're trying to set. I think it's more important that we get our guys that's here now uh, going and, and getting the culture like we need it to be so when those young men come in here, they come into a place that, uh, that we say is going to be. Coach, Clint Island from Seminole Sports
1: Magazine. You've now received commitments from a few West Coast guys that you were recruiting at Oregon, and I was just wondering, what what do you tell those recruits who might be wary of the move all the way
5: out to Florida? Um, It's Florida State. What are we talking about?
0: That's what I tell them. Coach Taggart's comments to the media that assembled uh, in the Dunlap Champions Club uh, earlier this afternoon Keith uh, it is a it is a different era its it's, it's noticeable I mean uh, as we're sitting there and this will get adjusted but but coach Taggart is so soft spoken that even though they're passing a microphone which means if you're watching on the web or TV later you're going to hear fine, it was hard to hear him, and that's, that's not just our age. I mean, he's. So, the point being, they're going to have to get actual speakers at his press conferences. Well, you know, which is just one of many. Plus, not to mention the social media and the playing music for the kids. I mean, it's just. Uh, it's not to say everything Jimbo did was wrong. I'm not on that side of the equation like a lot of folks may be, but it's different. It is different, and, and I
1: think the one thing that always uh, strikes me about Coach Taggart, I did not have, uh, obviously, any opportunity to play under Tony Dungy, but uh, I've had occasion to meet Coach Dungy on a couple uh, different issues and a couple different time frames and obviously talk to people that played for him, uh, and he was very soft-spoken, but you knew when he was making a point. And I think that's the one thing about Coach Taggart. There were a couple of times during the press conference when, when he got to a point and everybody kind of leaned forward and started really paying attention and what he said came out very strong. And uh, I think uh, the kids will learn to respond to that as well. Us old folks, uh, we'll just partition uh, the uh, boosters and others to get us some speakers or some hearing aids or something so we can make sure we listen to him.
0: <laughs> well, and I don't want to go down this slope uh, necessarily, but I do think that's a difference when, when we reflect back uh, and you look at the Jimbo era. When, when everything that comes out of your mouth is at decibel level 130 and you're screaming at the players, at some point that wears off. And that could have been part of the issue. Uh, Jimbo was an equal opportunity yeller. He would yell at
1: everybody. That was the only way he knew to communicate. And I think you do lose some um, ability to make your point when everything you say is at that level. Uh, Time will tell, uh, as we mentioned amongst ourselves. To be fair, uh, Coach Taggart has not won a single ball game at Florida State. Uh there's no reason for us to be optimistic other than we want to be optimistic. He hadn't lost a game either though, KJ. He is undefeated, <laughs> you are correct. Uh but uh, as I said after the first press conference, as I said after we had Willie on uh during the uh, bowl game uh out in Shreveport, uh I'll say the same thing now. Everything he says so far, everything he's done so far has been point on. He has not had a misstep yet. Uh, I guess maybe we ought to start uh, a little pool on a betting line as to when he'll mess up the first time and what the mess up will be because he hadn't done it in two months and a day that I've seen.
0: Yeah, no, he's, he's uh, done all the right things and uh, shaken all the right hands, said the right things, kissed the right babies. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting next week when we gather, uh, and actually you and I won't be gathering next week, but that's another story. Uh, the coaches, the assistant coaches will have talked though, and as folks are listening to this, there's an event going on, uh, the signing day event that always takes place, uh, which fans get, they really enjoy because there was such limited access to the, to the staff. Previously, this was one of the rare times you got to see them. Remains to be seen how much we'll get to, to interact with the, with the new staff. But we do know that we're going to get to see him tonight.
1: That's for sure. And you get an opportunity to put some names with some faces and a, and a voice and a tone and what do they sound like. Uh, I think the um, uh, best line that came out of it is, who's going to be the next Rick Trickett from the standpoint of being unbelievably entertaining that you just haven't heard from yet? Because uh, Coach Trick was... was um, well-known for his uh, comedic comments during these times, which was one of the only times that uh, Jimbo allowed him to talk, quote-unquote, to the public. Um, it'll be interesting. Uh, they're, a gr- they're a very eclectic group, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting to know them
0: a little bit and getting to hear from them. Uh, I think we're going to find they're a very, very interesting group as well. It's got to be Greg Fry, doesn't it? I mean, who wants to play offensive line for the fun of it? So you've got to make things fun if that's where you're toiling for your career, right? Well, and if you want to be factual...
1: Uh, He's the closest to Trickett because, as you and I have talked, and maybe our listeners have heard, maybe most haven't, uh, Greg actually replaced Coach Coach Trickett at West Virginia. When Coach Coach Trickett came to Florida State, Coach Fry replaced him, and now that Coach Trickett is no longer at Florida State, Coach Fry is replacing him again. Uh, We'll see if he is as uh, comical as Rick. Um,
0: I wouldn't go that far. I, I he's, go that far. far. I, he's a funny guy. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put him on the tricket level there. I'm just, that was just, I have no idea. I haven't met any of these guys. All right, we'll come back with some final thoughts on Front Row Knowles right after this. We don't need no education. We don't need
2: no thought control. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
0: Back on Front Row, Row Knowles as we wrap up uh, a big tip of the cap to our uh, friends at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Ron and his staff uh, do a great job. A couple locations in town. You know, we talk about them every week. Uh... Ladies, good place to to shop for your, the men in your life for uh, for Valentine's Day, perhaps. But Keith, probably not the other way around, in your case, anyway. Uh, I, you've reminded me this uh, most every year, and I do appreciate it. No, I will not shop for Kathy's present at Cornerstone. But you will, nevertheless, probably stop, you know, a couple times a month on the way home at Cornerstone and see what they're giving away and see what latest gadgets they may have. Uh, I go in there and browse. There's no question. All right. Uh, three or four minutes left. Big game tonight, as we talked about. Uh, hopefully it goes the way of Leonard Hamilton and his troops. I don't know how this has happened with the calendar, Keith, but baseball season starts next week. Uh, softball season begins this week, actually. We're in the thick of what is spring in college athletics. Uh, tennis, as we've talked
1: about, uh, obviously uh, we're not too far along a from uh, spring ball uh, coming with Florida State on this, the National Signing Day. Uh, there's just a lot going on. And obviously Florida State's a big university with a lot of things. Uh, but uh, it just seems like this is the
0: time of year when all the other things are going on as well. Final thoughts uh, as we wrap up, Keith. We talked about it, I think, probably at this point in the program last week, the Super Bowl. What were your general thoughts? Pretty good game. Very good game. Uh, I'm one of the guys that appreciates
1: uh, what uh, New England has put together. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Tom Brady, but I'm very uh, I admire what he's been able to do, and I think it's just uh, was great that that ball game came down to one play, in my opinion, which was the uh, strip uh, sack uh, and the fumble recovery by the Eagles. Uh, I think it's interesting uh, when you look at some of the backgrounds of some of the players uh, that you've got a backup quarterback that steps in and wins the world title uh, against the quarterback that had been, uh, what, this is eighth one in 16 years. So happy for the Florida State kids. Um, I think Ronald Darby would be the first to tell you he didn't have a great game, but he's got a Super Bowl ring anyway. Uh, Nigel had a very good game. Uh, I didn't see much of Jernigan and, uh, and Patrick, uh, but they've all got rings and, uh, it was a very entertaining ball game. And I think, I think maybe, hopefully the NFL is, uh, starting to be aware of the, their need to get back in public graces, uh, with how they did the pregame how the players responded, and, uh, and trying to captivate and rekindle uh, that once unique place that the NFL had. Not that it fell off that much, uh, but it had fallen some. And I think that game went a long
0: ways towards of redeeming themselves. Well, now they've got the offseason to fix the instant replay or at least determine what a catch is. I mean, when Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth don't know if it's a catch or not and they get all the access in the world, we got ourselves a problem.
1: No, there's no question, and, and I think that needs to be a priority. Um, I, I, how it got to this point, I'll never know, uh, but certainly we've got the situation where in the NFL uh, defining a catch, it's kind of like the dig route for Coach Fisher. There's no reason for that to take eight pages in a, in a playbook And there's no reason for the complications
0: associated with what's a catch in the NFL. I don't think there's any place to go from that statement other than to end the show, Keith. So uh, we'll talk again next week. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in every week to Front Row Knowles.